Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, I want to talk to you about something that some of you aren't thinking about, but every one of you will one day think a whole lot about. I, um, the older that I get, I'm coming into um, grips with the shocking reality. Nobody gets out of life alive. How many of you did good at math? Okay, how many of you made honor roll at math? None of on the foot baseball team. I love y'all. Thank you. I'm you. My people right here. I might go body surf over there. I, I, I did not do well in math, but let me give you a statistic that you, you have to come to grips with. One out of every one of us are going to die. Now, even if you went to Lafayette High School, you know those odds. And the older you get in the first part of your life, it seems like it takes forever. It seems like, am I going to make it? Am I going to do good in school? Am I going to do good on the baseball team? Am I going to make it on the soccer team? Am I going to make honor roll? Am I going to, and and some of you like me, you used to realize that none of that's happening. Let me be good at something else. And then you start wondering in your teenage years, what am I good at? And and then you, you start off, in your early 20s going, okay, this is my job. Is this really what I'm made to do? And then when you get in your mid-20s and maybe you get in a serious relationship, you start thinking, I don't know what I do, but it better make money if I'm going to support somebody. And then you get married. And if you're fortunate by then, you know what you're kind of good at doing, and so you hope that you do it well and that you can make a good living. And then before you know it, you have children and you're 30 years old and, and now you're trying to have a home for your wife and for your children. And then you're in the mid-30s and, and you're wondering, okay, I need to start preparing for retirement. You start thinking about things like a 401k, which if you've been in the stock market of late, it's like a 401a. And each step, and then finally you get to your mid-40s and you start thinking, okay, my children are getting towards their teenage years, and, and I wonder if I can get a camp on the basin. Okay, a double wide somewhere. And then before you know it, you're, 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 you're mid-50s, and then you start looking, and you realize that more of your life is behind you than in front of you. And then one day you wake up, and you're in your 60s. And things that you didn't even know you had start hurting. And then you start thinking not about what you're going to do and not about if you're good at it, not about what you own and not about how successful you are. You start with this thought. What are people going to say when I'm gone? Many of you know that my son Wesley's Pond is right back over here. We call it Wesley's Pond because that's where his ashes are after the tragic accident when he was run over six years ago, September 11th on Collie Saloon Street. And there is a monument back there, and there's, there's actually five-pound bass. You're more than welcome to catch them. Just leave them there, and if you steal one, Wesley will haunt you. 
And, and, and maybe when I'm gone and you'll get discouraged, maybe you're discouraged in life, jobs, marriage, maybe your kids, I want you to go drink a cold root beer. Root beer. And, and, and sit on that bench and, and I'll be there. My ashes will be there by that time and, and, and you, could, you could talk to me too. Go, Pastor, she's been ugly to me. Whatever you say, I'll agree with you. When's the last time you thought about your legacy? My dear friend Chris Hodges says this, legacy is a future without you still influenced by you. Legacy is a future without you, but it's still influenced by you. So let me ask you a question. What do you want your legacy to be? If tomorrow you were gone, what would you want your legacy to be? Tragically, we see people that blow up in fame and then are dead at 23 years old, 25 years old. They have worldwide fame. It's like a meteoric rise and then an end, never ever thinking, what is my legacy going to be? So let me ask a question. How many of you want to end up married? Okay, well, the rest of y'all, you just put... How many of you want to end up with your family intact? How many of you want to end up with an integrity about your name? That your children are proud of your name? That they don't have to apologize or be embarrassed because they carry your last name? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Every person here that's had a good daddy or mama or grandfather knows that because you walked in someplace and you shook somebody's hand. You said, hey, my name is Henry Boudreaux. And they went, where are you from? Because they always say that around here. Oh, I'm from Delcom. Your daddy was T. Boudreau? Yeah. He was a good man. What can I do for you? And all of a sudden, you cash on your daddy's legacy and the influence he's left behind you, even though he's long gone. Look at me. How many of you want to leave that kind of legacy? How does that happen? How, how can I finish strong? How can I finish with my Christian values intact? How can I do that? How can I start off no matter what age I'm at and look at my life and go, I am preparing for my legacy. And if I go home to be with the Lord tomorrow, whether I'm 20 or whether I'm 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, I know the legacy that I'm leaving. Because remember, legacy is a future without you, still influenced by you. Today, someone once said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, travel together. How far do you want to go? How long do you want your legacy to last? You say, well, Pastor, I, I got a dream of it all ending good. A dream without plans, purposes, and priorities is only a wish. Hey, you can get on I 10 driving towards Houston and wish that you ended up in Destin all you want. But as each mile marker grows, you're getting further and further away from where you intended to be. A lot of people think that there is a lottery in life. They think that somehow you can live whichever way you want to live, heading towards Houston and still end up in Destin, Florida on white, sandy, green water beaches. But there is no lottery in life. 
You are the sum total of every one of your choices and exactly where they dump you off at the end. At the end. So do you want to leave a legacy that you're proud of? Do you you want to do things a little different than your parents or grandparents did? Anybody here want to do a little things a little different than your parents or grandparents? Raise your hand. Come on. Uh, Michelle and I went through a lot of grief counseling. As a matter of fact, for seven months, we didn't even walk into the doors of this church. But we went to counseling. And one of the things we went to is called Restoring the Foundations, RTF. We have a lot of people that that, that, that share that in, in, in and minister that to others here. And when you go through it, you get a stack of things like this that you check off all the generational things like, was there immorality in your family? Was there adultery in your family? Was there alcoholism in your family? Was there witchcraft in your family? Was there drugs in your family? Was there uh, other compulsive addictions in your family? Was there depression? Was there anxiety? Was there, okay. It, it, it's like, it's like a, a paper like this but it's got like 50 things you can check. Well, when I looked over those like several sheets, I just put a big check on the whole thing. I X'd off Jehovah's Witness. Everything else was a check. I I have four generations of adultery. My great-grandfather ran off with Pancho B in Mexico. My grandfather ran around to the last five years of his life when he was converted and became a preacher. My father was married five times. My mother was married two times. My daddy been married seven times. I won the lottery. So I just put a big old check over everything. Because contrary to what people might believe, people aren't born good. You're born spiritually dead with a fallen nature. That, that's what this book teaches right here. So it isn't a matter of, are there issues like that in your life? It's which issues are there? So back to the original question. Do you want to defeat the giants in your life that your parents and grandparents and others could not defeat? So that you can leave a legacy to your children and grandchildren even better than the one you got, regardless of how good it was. I know what some people say, well, pastor, come on now. I mean, chill. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy and I've defeated a few giants. You know, I mean, I, I'm all right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't need everybody up in my business. I remember when I was pa- chaplain of the New Orleans Saints and I, I led a guy to the Lord named Willie Whitehead. As a matter of fact, if you pull up in front of the Broussard campus, the big sign there, Willie bought. He would come over to the house and ask Michelle to iron all of his clothes, of which she said no. And I, I remember asking Willie, we had just drafted a player that became pretty well known. His name was Ricky Williams. All the entire draft, Coach Ditka had sacrificed for this one player. How many remember those days? And, and so I said, hey, man, hey, Willie, I, I, hear that, uh, I hear that Ricky's doing some crazy stuff, man. You're right next to his locker. I mean, tell me about it. He goes, Pastor, my name's Bennett, and I ain't in it. I said, well, Willie, what does that mean? He goes, I don't want anybody in my business, and I don't want to be anybody else's business. Now, you know who he was telling that to? Me. And you know what I looked at him and said? Willie, 
I'm your pastor, and your business is my business. And if I don't know your business, one day everybody will know your business. Would you like me to deal with it, or would you like the New Orleans newspaper and the law to deal with it? You see, no matter who you are, even giant killers, even strong people, even people that have accomplished a lot need others to help them finish successfully. So if your aim is to go far and to go long and finish strong, you can never go alone. And you'll find that out in today's story. Today's story focuses on the most famous giant killer in all of history. Guess what his name was? His name was David. He killed Goliath when he was 14 years old. Imagine killing the most famous giant in all of history when you're 14. Well, what happened after that, pastor? Well, he took his harp and he played for Saul for a while and he went back and he tended his father's sheep until he was 30 years old. And at 30 years old, he was made king of all of Israel. He brought all the tribes of Israel together and he became the most famous king in all of Israel. As a matter of fact, Jesus would be recognized by his attachment to David. He was called Jesus, son of son of David, descendant of David is what that means. Today, we pick up King David's story, not when he's 14, not when he's 30, but when he's 60. When he's 60. Hey, when you make a mistake when you're young, you got time to replace it. You got time to rebuild your integrity. But when you make a life-altering decision when you're 60, there isn't much time left to change. It takes a lifetime to build integrity and a moment to lose it all. A moment to lose it all. So today's story, we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 21. David is in his 60s. Very successful. Now the most acclaimed king ever. And when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants went with him down and fought against the the who? Say it loud. The who? The Philistines. Now, what giant was a Philistine? Goliath. We now call them the Palestinians. Goliath was a Philistine. And David grew what? Faint. Then Ishbabinab, now you know he got beat up all his life. Like, like, first grade, what's your name? Just let me beat the devil out of you. I mean, by the time he got to sixth grade, he was going by Ish. What's up, Ish? Then Ishbabinab, who was one of the sons of what giant? Goliath. Goliath, who had been killed by David. The weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels and who was bearing a, guess who had Goliath's sword? David beheaded Goliath at 14, took his armor and his head and his sword, and he walked back up to Saul. So the person that had his armor, Goliath's armor and his sword was David. He was bearing a new sword and he thought that he could kill David. Now, how many of you know that the devil has a plan for your life? John 10, 10 tells us what it is. He comes to steal and to, 
and destroy. You don't have to ever wonder what, what, you don't have to ever ask the devil, what's your plan for my life? Jesus told us. But, what's his name? Abishai. Come on, but. The son of Zeruah, remember that, I'll come back to it later, came to his aid, struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David said to him, you shall not go anymore into the battle lest they quench the lamp of Israel. Another translation said they captured David and intended to kill him. The message translation reads it like this. War broke out again between the Philistines and Israel and David and his men went down to fight. David became... Has anyone here been exhausted? How many of you are exhausted about hearing about COVID? How many exhausted hearing about masks? How many exhausted hearing about the vaccine? How many exhausted hearing about politics? How many exhausted just because you're exhausted from being exhausted? Okay. Now watch this. That is significant. Because how are you when you're exhausted? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. What is your state of mind? Where's your emotional state when you're exhausted? And he was exhausted. And Ishmael, a warrior, descendant of Rapha, with the spear weighing nearly eight pounds, outfitted with brand new armor, announced, I'll kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his rescue, struck the Philistine, and killed him. And killed him. What would have happened had there not been an Abishai? You see, when David, between the ages of 14 and 30, in between that gap, Saul, the king, became jealous of him. Saul wanted his son Jonathan to be king, but he knew that God had chosen David to be king, so he tried several times to kill David. So a group of people surrounded David to help him and to protect him. They were called his 30 mighty men. Now, if you want to read something really cool, go and read about those guys. They were bad men. But three of those guys were his chief guys who he built with, who he did life with, who he walked with through every situation and circumstance of his life. And the head of those three men was named Abishai. So in that moment, Abishai steps up and he kills the giant. Think of the headlines of the Philistine times had Abishai not been there. Descendant of Goliath kills David. Revenge is oh so sweet. What would have happened had there not been an Abishai? (laughs) Well, you and I would be listening to a very different story. So here's a question. How can we go through the battles of life with our family, with our children, with our teenagers. How many of you have ever had teenagers? How many of you, don't tell, don't lie in church, you go straight to hell if you do. How many of you wanted to kill them? And then how many of you wanted to kill people who wanted to kill your children? Why didn't you just let kill them for, let them kill them for you and you would have been guiltless? What what does this story teach us? What is God saying through that story in the Bible that applies to every one of us here today? Number one, even giant killers grow weary. 
No matter who you are, no matter how strong you are, the moment is going to come when you're going to be exhausted. The moment is going to come when you're at your end. The moment is going to come when you go, if I get one more attack, if those kids ask me one more thing, if they scream one more time, if my husband says one more thing, if my wife does this one, if my boss does this one more, you will become exhausted. Let me ask you a question. When did the enemy come after David? When did the enemy come after Jesus in the wilderness? When he was exhausted. He was hungry. He was lonely. He was tired. He was fasting and praying for 40 days. And the devil came to tempt him because he was exhausted. He was weak. So if the devil came after David when he was exhausted, he came after Jesus when he was exhausted. When is he going to come after you? When you're exhausted. When you're exhausted. There is a term in addiction called halt. Say that with me, halt. Come on, say it again, halt. And that means this. What do you do when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? What do you do when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? Porn addicts go back to porn. Alcoholics go back to alcohol. Drug addicts go back to drugs. Workaholics go back to work. Because there's all kinds of addictions. Some are praised and some are condemned. If you're an alcoholic, it's condemned. If you're a workaholic, it's praised. If you're a clean freak, everybody praises you. If you're a slob, everybody hates on you. Both of them can be addictions, but there are some that are praised and some that are hated. I know some of you go, Pastor, I don't do anything violent. I just eat bluebell ice cream. Look at me. What do you do when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? Because that's when the enemy comes. He came after David then. He came after Jesus then. And he's going to come after you then. So you better have a plan. You say, Pastor, what, what, what should I do? I want to maintain my legacy. I don't want to do anything stupid. Well, what should I do? The first thing you should do is have a friend to call. Go out. I'm going to talk to you about this is not in order, but go out. Go reach out to a friend. And I know what everybody said. Well, pastor, I got God. Yeah, you do. We all do. If you're a child of God, but you need somebody that God can use to grab you by the nap of the neck and save you from your own stupidity. You need somebody that K-N-O-W-S you. That spells that can N-O you. No, no, no. Because the moment is going to come when you are weak and you need somebody that God can use to halt you. You need to go out. You need to go up. You need to, you need to pray. You, you need to recognize that those moments, look, I make stupid decisions when I get exhausted. I get, make stupid decisions when I get a situation. I need to cry out to God. Can I tell you this? People can't do what God can do, and God won't do what only people can do. Halt. Here's the next thing you need to do. Rest. Rest. Sometimes you just need to rest. Sometimes you need to sleep. Sometimes you need to recreate. Do you know recreation comes from the word recreate? How many of you have ever been with a good friend and just laughed your head off? 
How many of you have friends that could just tell you dumb Cajun jokes and it's the same ones and you laugh every time just like you heard them for the first time? Do you know what it does? It recreates you emotionally. It recreates you. You need to laugh. You need to enjoy yourself. Maybe you need to check out and go see a movie. Maybe you need to go to a game. Just, just recreate. One of, the, one of the great things that I've been blessed to do over the course of the years with the demands of it, we're always walking someone through cancer, a divorce, someone OD'd, someone took their life. That's always going on with somebody in a church this size with all these campuses. That's always a drain. But Michelle and I, over the years, have set a rhythm of our life. That's aside from raising six children. We've set a rhythm in our life to where where we get out by ourselves. We go and enjoy ourselves. We go and remember why we had all of these children. Sometimes you forget. (laughs) And we just enjoy ourselves and recreate All of that is part of what God wants to do in any of our lives because it's in moments like that that the secrets of your life become exposed. You see, every one of us are only as sick as our secrets. I call that the Bill Clinton Mother Teresa principle. How many of you remember Bill Clinton? How many of you remember Monica Lewinsky? You know what happened? Who he was in secret got exposed publicly and he went from being an esteemed president to a sinner who took advantage of the circumstances he was in. Correct? I'm not hating on him. A lot of people with a lot less fame have done the same thing. What happened to Mother Teresa? Who she was privately got exposed publicly and she became a saint. There is a law called hidden and exposed. No Christian is any greater than their unseen Christian life. And the private areas of your life are going to be exposed. My spiritual mentor, Leonard Ravenhill, used to say it like this. As humans, we all fall into different sins, but we all fall from the same place, the secret place of meeting God. The secret place of meeting God. And by the way, ladies that are married, how many of you married ladies? How many of you got husbands that won't take their hands off of you? Raise your hand. Can I tell you something? You're a blessed woman. I have never met a man that got in trouble for being too romantic with his wife, but I've sure met a lot of men that got in trouble because they weren't. Here's the second thing we learned from this story. Even giant killers get defeated if they do life alone. What would have happened without Abishai? David alone, David dead would have been the headlines. The only thing I can consistently and successfully do alone is fail. To consistently walk alone is to consistently walk being defeated. As a matter of fact, David knew this because his greatest failure was when he was with alone with a woman named Bathsheba. Do you know where he should have been? On the front lines fighting. Instead, he sent others, and the men that protected him were now gone. And instead of them protecting him from himself, he fell into the greatest sin of his life. Only weak people are strong enough to walk alone. We all need community. We all need people. Number three, 
Even though you have defeated a giant in the past, it can still come back in the future. Now, I'm going to say something. I don't know where you stand on all of this. If you think mask or controversy, will talk about drinking. Someone said Jesus turned water into wine and preachers been trying to turn it back into water ever since. <laughs> People ask me, Pastor, do, do you drink? Jesus drank wine. He did. And my answer is no for me. You know why? Because I come from four generations of people that had drinking issues. Because one beer is too many and a hundred's not enough. If you come from my family, anybody come from that family? One is too many and a hundred's not enough. So I can, there are people that can't, I can't. Do you know what your greatest strength is? Knowing your greatest weakness. Because if you know your greatest weakness, I mean, I, there is so much immorality rampant in my family. I don't watch R-rated movies. People look at me and go, come on. Well, I did watch one R-rated movie. The Passion of the Christ was R-rated. True. You say, well, Pastor, I mean, come on. All movies are R-rated. Look at me. I can't see that. I can't see that. Even though I have defeated a habit in the past. I am not so stupid as to think that it can't come back. As a matter of fact, I firmly believe that at any point in time in my life, I'm one step away from stupid. How many of you know you're one step away from stupid? Those of you that didn't raise your hand, it's because you're stupid right now. <clears throat> Number four. Even giant killers must choose their friends when they're strong to help them when they're weak. Listen carefully. You'll never choose them when you're weak. You'll never go to someone after you failed in all the most miserable things in your life and think, why did I do this? You will never, you must choose them when you're strong because you never choose them when you're weak. Do you know what the name Abishai means in the Hebrew that this was written in? A gift from the Father. Do you know when God sends you a strong Christian friend or a Christian couple to walk with you, that's a gift from God? You know what a lot of us pray? A lot of us pray, oh, God, send me help. Have you ever prayed, God, send me help? How many of you have ever saw that UPS delivered an angel at your front door? You ask God for help. Here's what Brown can do for you. <laughs> Look at me. Have any of you ever seen an angel show up on your front door? You know why? Because when God sends help, he sends it in flesh and blood. You know how I know that? Because when he wanted to save the world, he closed salvation in flesh and blood. His name was Jesus. You need people. You need people. You cannot do this alone. Do you know what the name Ishbenibab means? Taking captive. You know why? Because you can choose your friends, but you don't choose your giants. You can choose whether you accept Abishai, whether he comes or not, but you don't get to choose Ishbenibab. He's coming because all of us have families that have giants. All of us do. In life, the previous service, we had folks sitting on the third row from Galliano. They've lost everything. 
the founding pastor of a church almost 40 years. He was there with his son-in-law and daughter who are now the pastors. They lost everything. Everything. Do you think they chose that hurricane? Would they have ever chosen that hurricane? You know what? This book teaches us that you don't get to choose storms. They're coming whether you choose them or not, but you do get to choose who walks with you through the storms now. Storms are guaranteed. Receiving who God sends you before they come is not a guarantee. When you're strong, and I am, some of you here are, I know. You feel like, Pastor, I'm exceptional. I mean, I've come a long ways from my own family. And you know what's tragic when you do that? Is because you're exceptional, you think you're the exception. And you're not. You're not. I'm not. I, in the weakest moments of Michelle and I's life, I needed people to help me and rescue me. I I needed someone to come and tap me and go, no, you're not Pastor Jacob this time. You're just Jacob. I'm the pastor. Trust me. Trust me. You can't lead through this alone. You have to trust the people that God has brought into your life. Finally, you say, Pastor, how how can I finish well? I, I was thinking as Pastor Chris was up here praying, today is his birthday. He's 38 years old. And considering the fact that he and I physically look exactly alike, we both have arms and legs. As he was standing up here, on that same field when he won the Super Bowl, recovered the onside kick, and a special teams and sometimes defensive player went from being someone, he'd done five interviews probably that year had 500 interviews after that. There was another player on that field. His name was Darren Sharper. He was a star. Everyone knew him. I don't know how many Chris Reese jerseys were sold besides the ones you and Michelle bought. (laughs) But I actually have a Darren Sharper jersey. Many people all across the country that are Saints fans did. While Pastor Chris is up here leading us in prayer, you know where Darren Sharper is right now? Does anybody know? He's in prison. He's in prison. I thought of Tim Tebow, who was just here with us and that I've had a privilege of being a pastor to for years. When he was at Florida in their heyday, was a guy named Aaron Hernandez, who was a tight end, 
who ended up murdering several people and taking his own life in jail. What's the difference between a Chris Reese and Darren Sharper? What's the difference between Tim Tebow and Aaron Hernandez? Oh, you say, Pastor, it was just some of the choices they made. It's true, but the biggest choice was the people they chose to invite into their life to help them at the most difficult moments of their life. Michelle and I just got through leading a small group. We've led two small groups in the last probably six months on marriage in our home. These were people who by and large knew each other casually or not at all to being friends after a few weeks to now they want to have the small group without me and Miss Michelle. They kicked us out. Apparently we were the old drag in the group. Do you know what happened after six weeks in that small group? We had a dinner together and we said, well, what has God done in your life? One woman said, my husband and I haven't slept in the same bed for 17 years. God's changed our marriage. Another woman said, in our small group, Pastor Jacob, you said that my husband should pray with me. And so that night we got back from the small group. We went to dinner and I was sitting there watching TV and he walked up next to me on the couch and said, hand me the remote control. And I looked and went, is something okay? He said, give me the remote control. She handed the remote control and he fell down on his knees and started crying out to God and praying for their family. She goes, it's a shock. Not long after that, about the third week, she went for two weeks to Destin, Florida. And so he would call her every night and pray with her on the phone. There was another couple that was there. Found out what they were doing. They were struggling in their marriage. And they said, could you put it on loudspeaker so that when he prays for y'all's family, he could pray for our family too. The group that she missed, he put his phone on speaker so that all of the couples could be included in the group. But I'm not at the best part yet. They have a, a D1 athlete son playing college football. They were in Florida together. He was, the daddy was, was here. And they were eating at Roos Chris. And so they got their food and the mama said, well, is somebody going to pray like daddy did? Just like as a joke. At that point, the oldest son started praying just like his daddy. His mama went, That's the power of a small group. It's people doing life together. Not perfect people. Pastor Chris said it best. If you see people in this church that are hypocrites, then you're at the right church. I saw, I've seen people go, Pastor, I don't go to our Savior's church. Why? Too many hypocrites there. You know what I always say? There's always room for one more. Come on. This is not a palace for the perfect. It's a hospital from the hurting. And the more jacked up you are, the more you need to be here and the more you need the word of God. Thank you for being here. We don't want you to stay that way. 
but we're glad that you're here, even if you came that way. Can I tell you one last cool story? One of our young ladies on staff is an amazing young lady. Amazing. I won't tell you her name. She works here at this campus. She was an addict for six years. Totally separated from her family. She woke up. She tried to take her life, drinking and drugs, and woke up somehow, she doesn't even know, in the pew here on a Sunday morning. She gave her life to Christ. She was recently reunited with her entire family. Today she works at our Savior's church. There is community that God has for you. And if you come to this church and you say, Pastor, I love to hear you preach. I love to hear Pastor Chris. I love all the different things that we do. Then you're only getting part of what God has for you. You need community. And then finally... How many ever wore a WWJD bracelet? Okay. What did Jesus do? He chose 12 men. And three were his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And in his darkest hour, he looked at them and said, could you come and pray with me? I know you're exhausted, but could could you just come and pray with me? Look at me. I don't care how strong you are. If Jesus needed people to be with him when he was exhausted and at his end, I am quite certain you do too. <clears throat> Ladies, I'm jealous of you. Miss Heidi is a preacher like Joyce Myers, but Miss Michelle is a heart surgeon. And God is going to work on your heart. And he's going to take the 40 years of us walking together, raising six children, three of them pastors, one of them in heaven, and the other one before too long at the end of his journey to walk with us here as well. And she's going to share that with you. Because when you've walked that out with this, then you have something that's really life to share with people. It's not theory. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your amazing love for every person here. Thank you that regardless of where we are and what we've experienced and where we were last night or even this week, our greatest fear is always that if people knew the worst of us, they would never love us. But the most amazing thing about you is you're the only one that knows everything about us. And you're still the one that loves us the most. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your whole life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? 
Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. And you and I were born spiritually dead. And we never experience spiritual life until we're born again spiritually. Jesus looked at a very religious man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said, Jesus, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because I know you are from God. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, do not be surprised that I tell you, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, Pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said in John 3, 3. He said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You never know your sins are forgiven until you're born again. You never know God's plan and purpose for your life until you surrender and you're born again. Only then can you have the power to turn away from hurts, habits, and hangups and the sins that control you. Pastor, how can I be born again? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin, so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Someone will die for your sin. Either he did or you will. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again through repentance. So on the count of three, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to begin my spiritual journey today. I want to repent today. I want to turn away from my sin and surrender to Jesus. I want a relationship with God. I've never been born again, but Pastor, would you pray for me today? I want to be born again. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm the only one looking. Nobody else is looking but me. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing that's happened to you, even you being here right now, is not an accident. God has been orchestrating it. And now is your moment to begin your spiritual journey by being born again and having the power to turn away from sin through repentance. Now, if that's you, get ready to raise your hand. Three, if that's you, raise it high. Pastor, pray for me. I want to be born again. Raise it high. Yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Yes, I see your hand. Yes, yes, yes. I see all those hands. Yes, I see all those hands. I'm going to ask one last time. Maybe your heart's about to beat right straight out of your chest. You can put your hands down if you've already raised your hand. Many hands. See, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I know this is what I need. I know God is talking to me right now. If that's you, lift your hand real high and wave it at me right now. I'm asking this last time for you. Lift it high and wave it. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, now church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again. Let's join them and pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin 
to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.